0: I want to uh, give this morning perspective. Many times when we look at the events of Christmas, we tend to look from earth above to above. In other words, God coming, we look at the manger and all of that. But this morning I would like to have you imagine Christmas, think of Christmas through the eyes of God. God from above looking down. And uh, that is something that is very uh, helpful to understand the pleasure of God. Uh, One of the ways we define each other, the way we understand who we are, the things that we value, is to look at the things that bring us pleasure. And uh, this morning we're going to look at the pleasure of God As it relates to Christmas, if you want to know who God is, one of the ways to understand Him is to understand the things that please Him. And I think when we begin to consider Christmas from the perspective of heaven looking down, we'll learn about the wonderful pleasure of God in loving us and in saving us for Himself. Our text is going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. And I'd encourage you to look at your Bible, follow along as we go through our text. I'm sort of taking a, uh, a risk as a, uh, a new person to the church and as a pastor. I'm going to challenge your thought processes. Because some of the things we're going to look at this morning will require us to think deeply to stretch our thoughts about the significance of Christmas. As simple as the story is, it's far more profound than any of us can ever imagine. So I'm going to ask you to think and pray even as we go through our text this morning. Our text is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. But before we go there, I want to kind of set up the text by way of introduction. Let's try to imagine the scene of the manger on that first night of Christmas as a very unique one-time event ever. To think of those who came to see the Christ child. When they came on that first Christmas, the shepherds, and there were Mary and Joseph there, beholding this Christ child, they were beholding something that no creature, no one had ever seen before. They were looking at the face of God as a baby. He did not appear as the angel of the Lord in the midst of a burning bush, as we read in the book of Exodus. But he appears as God in human flesh. God with a body. He was the promised son, the son of Adam, the son of God, the son of Seth, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, Jacob, and David. The son of Mary. And his coming into the world was foretold by God, by angels, by the prophets, and even the celestial signs that we read about around the Christmas season. This is a child of destiny. Born in time, born of a woman, born under the law, and born to save sinners. is the glory and the very pleasure of God. Just think about this for a moment. Let's imagine ourselves there at the manger and you behold this child. And you look at those little hands. What do you think of? Well, you look at these frail little hands, these are the same hands that scooped out the mighty oceans at creation, and formed Adam from the clay of the earth. And yet these hands would later be pierced by iron stakes through the bone and the flesh so he could be held to the cross. And think of those little feet, those pale pink little feet, that are tucked tightly in swaddling clothes. These are the ones that once walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But now, they would be covered with the dust of the earth. As he walked the breadth and the width of Israel, proclaiming the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. Those eyes... Those eyes that you see that child once gazed into the face of his father throughout all eternity before this event with intimate fellowship. That's who's in that manger. And these eyes, however, now would begin to see the pain of the suffering of his brethren. And we're told that even his eyes will weep with human tears. This is the life of the one sent by the Father to become man. And it is his birth that we celebrate at Christmas. A wonderful event. It's filled with theology as well as an incredible, wonderful, beautiful story. The things we're going to look at this morning will hopefully help us have a view of the manger of the Christmas uh, scene in events from heaven looking down. What was in the mind of God? What were the pleasures of God as it related to this most incredible event? The things we're going to read this morning could only have been disclosed to us, revealed to us by God. And he will reveal them to us through his beloved son who has come from above. And what we will read has been taught by the Lord Jesus to the disciples. And now have been recorded for us in this most amazing book called the book of Hebrews. There are three things I want us to look at. And then we'll unpack it as we look at the scripture. The first is... We're talking about the pleasure of God. The Father was pleased to send forth the Son. Basic but true. But the Son was also pleased to go forth into the world. Again, remember, this is God's pleasure for us. His pleasure to see us being saved from the curse. It says a lot about our God. And finally, that God was pleased to redeem a lost humanity. Certainly, that is a wonderful part of our story. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 uh, through 10. Before I do, I want you to notice this. I tried to show it even in the writing of the scripture up here. You can't probably see it too well. This is the most incredible passage of scripture. What we have is the author of Hebrews writing about Christ. And as he writes about Christ, if you will, about the reason for Christmas, he quotes what Christ said, and it appears to be said before he even entered into time and space. And he's quoting from Psalm 40. So imagine that for just a moment. It kind of gets your mind around this. What Hebrews is going to say is, I'm going to quote from Psalm 40 a few lines, and these are the things that Jesus apparently taught them, but the things that he had said in entering into time and space. That's a pretty amazing passage. We would never have known about this had not God chosen To reveal that to us. And then Jesus to teach it to us. This will teach us about the pleasure of God for us. The pleasure of God for saving a people like us. Well, let's look at the text together. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he's now going to quote from Psalm 40. He said, when Christ came into the world, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired... But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Notice he now is also quoting. This is Christ saying, Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Amazing comment. He's saying, what was written about me in Psalm 40, this is what I said when I came into the earth. Behold, I come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll. And when he said above, now referring back to Psalm 6, you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do what? To do your will. He does away with the first, that is like the first covenant, in order to establish the second, which would be the new covenant. And by that we have been sanctified, been set aside for God's special holy purposes through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's our task this morning, is to try to perceive from God's perspective What was behind the sending forth of his son? And I'm looking forward to sharing these thoughts with you as we move ahead. Let's take that first truth that we wanted to explore that God the Father was pleased to send forth his son into the world. Can I just add this little note? If you want to know the pleasure of God, it is his son. He is the unrivaled pleasure. Now, think about this. His son is his most beloved pleasure that he knew he would have to send to save us. What does this say about our God? Most incredible. I cannot get my arms, my thoughts around the magnitude of this incredible plan. Conceived by him, designed by him, ordained by him for our good and his glory. Let me talk for a moment about the pleasure of God. Sometimes I have heard people talk about God as... God needing us, that he's lonely. He wants you to receive Christ so that you can be with him and he would no longer be alone. That somehow our addition to the family is going to make it more complete in the mind of God. I don't believe that. If I read the scripture, though he is glad and we're part of his pleasure. But what I'm trying to suggest is that we were created not out of need, but out of grace. Grace. Out of love, out of his desire to complete us. It's most amazing for people to realize that God, how do I say this, enjoys being God. God is pleased being God. And one of the ways we understand why he has such pleasure in being God is that our God is revealed as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there has always been, always been this interaction of perfect, intimate love between the Godhead. So that in creating a people and saving a people, it's not that he's doing this for anything to enhance himself. It is to, what? Enhance us. He has done this for us. We're told in John 4, 24... That God is spirit. That is that God the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit who always existed. Existed as one yet three in one. And uh, that there was no bodily form or there was no image or flesh in the Godhead. There was however as I say infinite love and joy. And we are told that God dwelt in unapproachable glory and light. 1 Timothy 1 gives a doxology to remember that. It says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, what? Invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and forever. Amen. So God enjoyed and continues to enjoy being God. Fully satisfied as God. And he's always had this face-to-face relationship as God. And the son has enjoyed as well this relationship with the father. He enjoyed being God. The Son did. And he, like the Father, was uncreated and was eternal. He is distinct from the person of the Father, and yet he's of the same substance, as we say, as the Father. His glory was like that of the Father, not less, equal. He dwelt in a heavenly state of perfect mutual love, uh, honor, honor, Holiness, power, and self sufficiency. And the Son is revealed to us by John in his gospel as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He was the one in the beginning who spoke the Word, if you would, all creation into existence. He didn't create us, as I said, out of personal need or loneliness, but for his glory and for our good. And being infinitely wise and omniscient, however, he knew. He knew when he created Adam and Eve with a capacity to sin and not sin, he knew that Adam would rebel and that he would choose to take of the forbidden food. There's nothing hidden from the mind of God. And this would mean that his image bearers would then surely die physically as well as spiritually. Therefore, even before the foundation of the world, from the perspective of heaven, looking down at the creation, God determined to save an elect remnant from his holy wrath. And Ephesians tells us he did this according to his own pleasure. We here this morning are here by the pleasure of God. You have come to faith. You have become a child of God by the pleasure of God. We learn a lot about God by His pleasure. And one is, He's pleased to love us. Pleased to save us. Pleased to dwell amongst us. I'm not particularly this high-tech pastor that... Some of maybe the younger guys may be, but I'm learning, I'm trying, and I hope you're very impressed that I'm using PowerPoint, by the way. This is, this is really a new step for me into the unknown cyberspace of uh, our generation. I even have an iPhone and uh, all those wonderful things. And uh, I was with my friend yesterday who was telling me that, uh, uh, that he had Googled uh, up satellite view of your home. And so, you know, I thought, I thought that was really kind of cool. I thought I would try that. And he did that. He did that last night. So I googled it in and whoop, just in a few seconds, you're looking from the sky down, to low, down below. And then I started narrowing down the scope to the west coast, California in particular, down to Orange County, then to San Clemente. I thought, "Wow, that's great." And it looked like I had a little space more to even zoom in more. I did on my house. And somebody left out the furniture on the patio deck. Are you kidding me? But the reason I bring that up is that many times we our perspective is so limited by the here and now, what's right in front of me, like my problems. The problems in the country, the finances, political issues, all that. They kind of keep us from seeing the big picture. And this text gives us the big picture. And that's what I hope we see at Christmas. Is the big picture. Not just the manger. Not just the shepherds and the wise men and Mary Joseph. But God the Father and the Son... Living out this amazing love that they have for us. Now, in our text, we also learn that God was pleased to send forth his son. And the son knew from Psalm 40 that no animal sacrifice could ever satisfy the wrath of God, of a holy God. The Father and Son knew that when they created. They knew that they had to send forth the Lamb of God, which would be the Son, to offer up his life as a sacrifice for us. Amazing story here. Even in the verse preceding in Hebrews 10:4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. The Lord knew that when He was here. He knew it before He even came. So, why were there sacrifices of animals with shed blood in the Old Testament? And the reason for it is that the law was given by God to first show humanity its need of sacrifice for its sin, that we are sinners. That we are under God's wrath and that we need to be removed from that wrath. We must be redeemed. These sacrifices were prescribed by God in the law in anticipation of something that was better to come. So when the law spells out how to sacrifice a little lamb, perfect, unbroken legs, male, so forth... All of that is foreshadowing the coming of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. So the Father says, these will satisfy me temporarily, only because they represent what my Son is going to do to remove your sin. So even before the foundation of the world, the Father even identifies the son as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that he would be slain for those who are written in the lamb's book of life, the official record of Christ's chosen bride. Therefore, God's pleasure was never in the sacrifice of animals, but only in the sacrifice of his son. What we see next is quite an amazing passage of scripture. He said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. And he says, but a body. You have prepared for me. Can you imagine this now? This is, if I understand it from heaven. The son saying, I know that sacrifices won't do it. But you have prepared me. With a body. That will be the incarnation. He was pleased to prepare a body for his son. What does that mean? Chapter 2 of Hebrews tells us that God would fashion a body for his son who would be made in the likeness of man. We are told that while he was on the earth, he would be made a little lower than the angels. He says, so that by his grace, he might taste death for us. He became a man, he took on a human body to be a sacrifice to taste death for us. The death that I deserved, he would take. In Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Let me read it. If you have your text, look at it up. Wonderful passage of scripture talking about the coming of Christ. It says, Since therefore the children, he's talking about the children of man, share in flesh and blood, that is he, Christ, himself partook of the same things, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And who is that? It's the devil, he tells us. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring, the seed of Abraham. Therefore he, that is Christ, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high A Faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to make purchase for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Why the incarnation? Certainly to save us, remove the curse, but also the incarnation so that we might have this intimate fellowship with God. That we might have one who has our best in mind. So that when we have sinned, we have a high priest. One who is like us and yet unlike us. Like us in having a human body, in the experience of humanity, but he is still God. Perfect God. So that your trust is that he understands me, but that he is God. Holy, perfect in every way. And he is on our side. If God be for us, what? Who could be against us? Many times I think many Christians even grow up with the sense as if they have got to gain some kind of acceptance with God. Do enough. Don't do this. Somehow we'll get in. We can find that acceptance. We have that acceptance through faith in Christ. That's a wonderful story that's going on here. But the text says, A body of you prepared for me. And he's quoting from Psalm 46 which if you were to go ahead and read Psalm 46, guess what it would say? It would probably be a translation like this. My ears you have dug open. <laughs> or my ears you have opened. And he's, the author is quoting from Psalm, but he says, a body you have prepared for me. But when you read the original, it says, my ears you dug out. You open. How do we reconcile that difference? Well, a lot of theologians and grammatical uh, professors have looked this over. And if you look at Psalm 40, the idea of having your ears dug out, it's not because they're dirty, got wax. But it meant that the master would take the ear and would open a hole to put The ring of the master in his servant. So that the ring was a demonstration. The hole in the ear was a demonstration. That he has ultimate faithful loyalty to his master. Putting these two things together would appear that our Lord is saying. He prepared a body for me because I am the perfect master. A perfect servant of my master the father. He came to do his father's will. Christ is the perfect servant, the bond-servant. Perfect submission, all the way to the cross. Certainly, servanthood demonstrates who God is, who Christ is in particular. And the Holy Spirit would be the one who would bring about this unity of the spirit and the nature of man by a virgin birth, a miraculous Work of God in a virgin. As was prophesied by Isaiah. Of a woman who would give birth. To a child. And she would be a virgin. These are wonderful things. Let's continue to read Hebrews very quickly. It says in verses 7 and 9. Then I said behold. I have come to do your will. This is Christ speaking. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And he's still quoting from uh, Psalm 40. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Not only was the father pleased to send forth his son, but think of this. The son was pleased to be sent. Knowing why he was sent, knowing what he would face. I think it's in Hebrews, and it is, where it says, For the joy that was set before him, what? Christ endured the cross. Think of the pleasure of God as we've talked, and the pleasure of the father. Now think of the pleasure of the son. His pleasure is to do his Father's will, but his Father's will is to accomplish something good for us, to bring us into this eternal relationship, to bring us ultimately to be with him forever. Christ was pleased to come as a bondservant. Think of that God who once enjoyed all the delights and wonders of heaven He who was rich became poor and became a servant. Philippians 2 talks about that. Let me read it to you quickly. Being in the form of God, that is Christ, that's found in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Being in the form of God, Christ did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross for what purpose certainly to save us but notice what he says therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Christ, Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. The incarnation and the crucifixion are both needed for us to understand what it means. Be saved. Both of those are ideas, those truths represent the pleasure of the Father and the Son. And the Son was prepared to be fully God as well as fully man. Certainly, he had to be fully God to be a perfect sacrifice, but he also had to be perfect man. To represent us. His death for us. He was willing to relinquish all of the benefits, if you would. All the pleasures of heaven to come here and face all the horrific things he did face on the cross for us. He was still God, and he will always be God. Now this is going to, for some of you, maybe you've never thought about this. If God was a spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see appearances of Christ in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. But on that first Christmas, you're seeing God as no one has ever seen him before. As a man. And this is the amazing thing. The one who once enjoyed eternity as a spirit has chosen to forever be identified with the likes of us. Think of that. So that when we see Christ, he will in every way look like the one who walked on the earth over 2,000 years ago. He will retain forever the scars of Calvary on his body to remind us of his love. And we shall see him as well in all of his glory. He is the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. He who once was pure spirit will be revealed in heaven as the pure God-man, Jesus Christ. He will be the visible manifestation of the invisible God, not just in the Incarnation, but even in the glorification. And he was, ple- he was pleased to fulfill the scriptures who are written about him. He says, "The things written about me in the book, I've come to fulfill them." Just as what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said in Luke 24:44, "All things must be fulfilled." Which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He came as was foretold in the scriptures. He was the seed of a woman, he was the one promised to Abraham who would bless all the nations of the world. He was the son of David, who would sit on his everlasting throne. He is the one who would be stricken for our iniquities. He is the one who would be born of a virgin. He was the one whose light would shine in the darkness. He's the one who would be born in the city of David, of Bethlehem. He was the one who was, would be, uh, whose way would be prepared by the messenger. He was the one in whom the father was well pleased. He was the one who would hang cursed on a tree. And he's the one who uh, was raised from the grave on the third day. Even as Jonah was spewed out on the shore after being in the belly of a fish for three days. All scripture related to Christ will be fulfilled. And almost everything has except his coming. He came in obedience to his father and to fulfill the word and he was pleased to do his father's will he perfectly kept the commands the demands of the law because one he was still god infinitely holy but he also came to keep them for guess who us that is why he is our perfect representative God and perfect man. Therefore, this perfect Savior and our perfect representative came to take our sin and to offer his life to us. He came to do his Father's will. When you look at the manger, when you look at the Christmas events, you have to think as well about that child being there because of the plan and the purposes and the pleasure of God Jesus came to do his father's will Jesus said that to his disciples and he tells us this in John 6 38 for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of the father who sent me that all of all he has given me guess who all that is all of his people, all that were given to him. This is the will of the father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. No one, but should raise it up the last day. All those who were given to him by the father ordained before the uh, earth began. He came to save and everyone who has been ordained and uh, chosen of God shall come to faith. And they shall forever be sealed in the mind of God. They shall forever be secure in Christ. And he said, this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And then he says this, and I will raise him up at the last day. That is most assured. Our Lord knew who he was. He knew what he had come to do. And he was absolutely sure that what he accomplished would not fail. Finally, verse 10 it says, And by that will, that is the will of God, the will that Christ came to accomplish, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. God was pleased. To send forth his son to establish a perfect sacrifice for sin. Think about this. That the sacrifice of Christ needed only to be offered once. Whereas the other sacrifices had to be offered at least yearly. Christ's sacrifice pays for it all. Not just the sins of yesterday. Or further back of our. Past, But the sacrifice has satisfied God's justice from birth to death. Why do we confess our sins as Christians? We confess them because we've offended our God. Christ has justified us, declared us righteous. Therefore, there's what? Therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ came to accomplish this by the, by the will of the Father. And he came not of his own will, but the will of his Father to submit, to be this perfect servant. To accomplish the purposes of God so that we might be for the glory of God. Think of this. Jesus laid down his life for his people not because we are more lovable than others but because God is so loving. The incarnation then cannot be understood apart from the crucifixion. God was determined to bring about our salvation even when the Bible says in Romans, we were yet sinners. This word sanctifying is a wonderful word, by the way. It means to be set aside for God's holy purposes. The cross accomplished not just the removal of sin and guilt, but actually has set us aside now and forevermore for purposes that God knows that I'm not quite sure what they'll look like. Have you thought of that? What's going on in your life today? Go, it doesn't make sense to me. Why am I going through this? Why don't I have that? Why is pain here? Why is there hardship? Why is there death? All these kind of things. All I'm telling you is that somehow, some way, God is preparing us for purposes that may not even be known to us now. In this life or the one to come. All of this is part of one grand scheme. That's why I say we learn a lot about us. We learn a lot about Christmas By taking the view of the pleasure of God looking down. So the Christ child is the pleasure of God. Christ came for the pleasure of saving us. We are the pleasure of God. Sometimes, I don't know if you think about this when I'm praying. I said to the Lord, I don't know what you get out of this. I mean, when I try to offer him a prayer, it's sort of like, dear Lord, I want to glorify you. Oh, Let's see, wait a minute, I've got to get outside to take care of the dog, and i got to do some grocery stuff, and I've got to stay. Oh, wait a minute, oh Lord, I want to praise you. I want to offer you my life today. And by the way, I wonder, did I fill out that check the other day that I was supposed to send in? And, you know, and all of a sudden, you're going to go, wait a minute, I was praying. So the ruler of the universe to my creator and to my redeemer and I've just given him nonsense. Why do you want me? Why, what do you find in me that's worthwhile? The only thing that I've come up with is he loves me because of Christ. And if you know Christ You are deeply loved. You have a purpose now, and you have a purpose later. Whatever God's doing, He's working all things together for good, even though we can't see it. That takes a bigger perspective, and that is why the Word of God is so wonderful, because it stretches our hearts and minds to think beyond the immediate to the eternal. the future to the glorious future that lies ahead think of the glorious past and the glorious future and we are in between so my friends at reverence I really do encourage us this time of year to think not just of the major but to think of the mind and the heart and the pleasure of God for us. And a world that's lost. We need to take the glorious gospel. That we enjoy. To those who are lost and living in darkness. How can we hoard this? How can we keep this to ourselves When people really do long. find Acceptance want to feel significance, want to feel worth. They can't find it really ultimately in any other thing that will satisfy and endure the judgment of heaven than knowing Christ. I would like to pray for us, pray for you. It's my delight to do that. It is my pleasure. May we leave this morning with this awareness From eternity's perspective of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he is yet to do. He's given to the name of Christ, the name that is above every name. Ultimately, for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, you are absolutely magnificent. You are beyond our full comprehension. You are infinitely good, infinitely loving and gracious. You are infinitely just. You are a God who has infinite knowledge of all things, infinite power. We could go on. You are an infinitely wonderful God. And so this morning, as a church and as a people here, we cry out to you. We recognize from your word and from the words of Christ that were quoted from Psalm 40, That human works, even the sacrifices of men, will never bring satisfaction for the sin that we have committed. But we thank you that one has made provision that you, Father, sent forth your Son and that your Son was pleased to come so we could treat him as we did. And even to treat him as we do today. Father, forgive us. But we thank you now for the love of Christ that has come, manifested itself. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who has regenerated us, that now empowers us, that comforts us, convicts us of sin. And I pray, Lord, for your church here. While Pastor Kevin is away, that they will feel and sense and believe that you are mightily at work in them. That you will work through their family and through their marriage and through their work, through school, through their relationships and friendships. That you work through them to accomplish your good purposes. We pray for Pastor Kevin and Tasha as they make their way back. Protect them. Give them a refreshing, wonderful time together. May we be united with them, reunited with them as we draw near to the Christmas time. Thinking of your pleasure. The pleasures of God for us. Thank you now in Jesus name. Amen.